Gangnam Monster. What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand spanking new episode of Phoenix Down. And this is Phoenix Down, episode number 44.0. We're starting a new series, and um, it's November, which means that Matt is officially doing his NaNoWriMo, uh, and uh, he is actually recording a podcast for that. So whenever he gets that up, you guys should definitely take a listen to it. But that also means he is busy writing a novel, um, so he doesn't have time to play through games at the current moment. So uh, we are going to keep on keeping on, and I brought along with me uh, for this new series, uh, Jay Lee. Yes, I have arrived. Yeah, and you've joined us on a couple of uh, games before, uh, mm-hmm. particularly what, uh, Alpha Protocol and Dino Crisis. Dino Crisis, yeah. Yep. Um, so we've we've done a, a few things with you before, uh, and this time I wanted to do something a little different. I let you choose the game, and you 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 laid out a couple of games for me. You did. Um, uh, one of them being a, a Tales game because he you knew that I never played a Tales game before. Um, and um, the other one being um, what was it? It was it was uh, Virtuous Last Reward. Yeah, Virtuous Last Reward. Yeah, uh, which was the sequel to Nine Nine Nine, which I had played, but I hadn't got the true ending, so I didn't know exactly how it ended. Uh, and I really enjoyed that game, though. Yes. And then you mentioned Don Gun Rampa. Is it Don Gun Rampa? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I'm not an authority in pronunciations, but I, I've always pronounced it Don Gun Rampa. Don Gun Rampa. Does it, is that does that mean anything? That's a good question that I don't have an answer for. Okay, I'm just curious if if that's a like a, a term, like a Japanese term or something like that. Um, but yeah, so we're playing Don Gunrampa. Uh, Trigger Happy Havoc is the name of it. Um, interesting thing I did not know until I just looked this up. Um, this game. It was originally a PSP game. Yeah, it was. I did not know that. Uh, it came out in 2010, no less. The um, the way I actually played Danganronpa the first time was actually a PSP version of the game, but it was patched with an English fan translation. So before the Vita version even came out, I played uh, Danganronpa 1 back in something like 2011 or 12. Hmm. So it's been a while since I've actually completed the game in full. Interesting. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it released in uh, the United States uh on February 11th of 2014, so only about a year ago, well, a little bit, almost two years ago, mm-hmm. on the Vita. And I don't have, I don't own a Vita, but I do have a Vita TV that I purchased specifically for Persona 4 Golden. 
And I figured, you know what? Let's do this game because it'll give me a chance to try out my Vita TV a little bit more. So, and the way you described it, and I know you always praise these games because you've, re- you've reviewed all three of them, right? Yeah, I have actually for the site. Yeah, and I know you, you liked all of them. Uh, the, the first two are amazing. The third one is different and enjoyable, but there's a lot of heated debate on how actually good that game is. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. And also, getting back to your first initial question, they say Dangan is bullet and Rompa means something like winning in a debate. So winning in a debate with a bullet with is a basically, bullet. yeah, which is an incredibly apt way to put the, the way the game works as far as mechanically goes. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about that because I have issues with, with the way they do that. Okay, sure. Um, but that's just me. Um, so the best way for me to describe this game, just, just straight up out of the gate, what this game is, for the most part, it's a visual novel. Um, if anybody's ever played a Phoenix Wright game before, that's pretty close to, to what you're doing here. Um, it's a very interesting premise. I'll put it that way. Um, and, but it, but it plays basically like you're reading a specific person's retelling of a story. Um, as well as like, uh, I guess the inner thoughts, inner monologues of a, of a person, uh, which the person is, uh, Makoto. What was it? What's his last name? Naigi. Naigi. So, uh, Makoto, uh, has been accepted into a prestigious, um, well-known school, high school, um, that when you go to it, you're guaranteed success for life. They say anybody who graduates from this school is guaranteed to be successful in whatever they choose to do. All right, that's weird in and of itself, but okay. This game is weird. <laughs> yeah, this is very weird and unorthodox. Yeah, to 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 say that in any sense, both in gameplay as well as in. Oh man, it's just it's crazy. <laughs> the characters, the storyline, yeah, it's, yeah, it's anything but regular. So, man, I don't even know where to start. Uh, it begins before he actually goes to the school. It's like the day before, and he's been doing research on what to expect at the school. Um, which, for for the life of me, I can't think what the name of the school is. Something Hope. Hope's Peak Academy. Hope's Peak Academy. And I guess he's going as a senior? Is that how it is? No, he's actually just been uh, accepted into the school as the um, – his ultimate, as you know, is the ultimate lucky student. Yeah. Right? So he basically got uh, – won a lottery of all the regular average-ass students in the world and became uh, accepted into this school of exceptional people as the – the luckiest person, which makes sense because if you win the lottery, you're obviously lucky. And luck is supposed to be a skill of some kind mm-hmm. in this universe. And it may very well be in, in, in terms of like the universe. Luck is kind of like a thing. So who knows? That's true. Hey, yeah. luck is also a skill in Fallout. Yeah, that's true. That's just, very true. Just, just saying. But uh, so, yeah, uh, he he is going to this academy as – the ultimate lucky student. 
Uh, and what uh, Hope's Peak Academy prides itself in is that they only accept the ultimate of everything. So the ultimate baseball player, the ultimate uh, uh, the gambler or risk taker or uh, the ultimate prodigy and all these ultimates are being brought in and he's doing research on these people because he wants to know what to expect when he starts going to school there. Cause he, he constantly talks about how average he is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he's, you know, I, I was like, I'm an average, I'm, I'm the average of the average kind of. And uh, so he, he doesn't really feel like he belongs there, but he shows up. Um, excited because, hey, you can't turn up being successful for the rest of your life. That sounds pretty awesome, you know. So um, he decides to attend the school, and uh, he goes into the school, and it's pretty much completely empty at the current moment. Uh, he knows that he's supposed to be at a place at a certain time. Actually, no, he, he goes into the school, and then before he even gets there and enters in, he gets unconscious. Is and it, then he, well, he wakes he, up. He I wakes he, up in the middle of the classroom. I thought I thought he walked like to the well, stairs or something. I mean, yeah, he it, he got to the front entrance and then he just passed out. Okay, so never actually entered the school itself. I gotcha. Okay, I thought I thought he actually went into the school, but uh, so yeah, he he passes out. But it's weird how they kind of show that in game. Mm-hmm. It's like he stepped into like a warp zone or something. Right. Uh, the, the screen kind of shifts and twists and stuff like that. And I mean, that could just be him passing out, but I don't know. But, uh, uh, it, something seemingly supernatural happens. You could, you could interpret that in a lot of different ways. And as you know, one of the main mysteries is exactly maybe where they are right? and why they're there. So if you actually look into that, maybe you'll find an answer. Maybe it becomes kind of like a red herring trying to mislead you from uh, the, the actual truth. So you can, you can see that as any way you want to see. Yeah. So he wakes up and uh, he's in a random classroom. Um, and the, the first thing he knows is that, the classroom looks a little weird. Uh, in fact, everything is kind of like lit up because all the windows are completely boarded up with steel, <laughs> like inch steel boards that have gigantic screws in them, uh, which you can pretty much guarantee you can't get out of. So there are no open windows and no open doors in the school leading to the outside world. Uh, and then he makes it to the main hall, and this is where he meets all of the other students that he is going to be attending school with. And there are 15 students in all, including him. So let me go down the list here. And, Jay, you can help me sure. if, if need be, because this is going to be kind of hard. Uh, just go down their, their ultimate titles, basically. Keep it simple. Okay. So we have uh, the ultimate pop sensation. Yes. Which is uh, Sayaka, I believe. Yeah, Sayaka. Yeah. Uh, She is a well-known pop singer in a very well-known pop group. She's like in a girl band, which are very popular in Japan. Um, And 
pretty much everybody knows her. She's she's on the cover of magazines, tons of music videos. Everybody knows her. So she is like the ultimate pop sensation. Uh, there is the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate biker gang leader. <laughs> yes. Some of these don't probably didn't translate as well from Japanese, but it is it is to the point of what he is. Yeah, that is Mon- Mondo. Yeah, Mondo Wada. Yep. Yeah. Mo- now he, I, I have to ask you this: you you watch more anime than I do. Mm-hmm. I know that there is a strange fascination in Japan with gangs. Yes. What is up with that? Well. There is like kind of like the Yakuza thing, kind of the equivalent of the Italian mafia in Japan. Yeah. And there's a lot of things with certain like uh, they they value respect about all else. And there's kind of like a hierarchy of uh, like criminals and all this stuff. And biker gangs especially uh, was pretty popular at a certain point in time where um, – they they kind of have their own territory. It's it's kind of like the whole you know the whole greasers and they have like these gangs and they have different territory. It's like that. There's like gangs like that also in Japan, and uh, I think I forgot the type of hairstyle that he has like as a pompadour. Pompadour, or yeah, yeah, pompadour. It was actually pretty famous at that time for that gangster outlook kind of because because the the typical Japanese hairstyle is kept short and like very you know very kind of like clean and everything yeah so it's like the ultimate way to uh say screw that shit and then go the opposite direction of this really weird like westernish looking hairstyle uh as, as a show of rebellion i right. suppose yeah I just i've always noticed like i know uh what was another one of those it was a game uh the kinko bancho series uh i know of it but i haven't played it but it's like it, it it revolves around these weird high school gangs, and I'm just like, is, is that a thing in Japan? Is high school gangs running around? I see it in a lot of anime and stuff too. It's it's yeah. it's weird, but it's just a neat like subject, so they just like to cover a lot. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, but yeah, so we got the ultimate uh, biker gang leader, um, who I kind of like because when you first meet him, he's like, nice to fucking meet you. <laughs> so that's another thing. This game is rated M for mature, and it's weird how they handle that stuff. I think it's more M because of the subject matter than it is the violence. The the violence is very stylized. Like you don't really see like any blood. Even the blood is different color and everything. Yeah, the blood is pink. Yeah, they they go for a certain different artistic design and style over hyper realistic. Yeah, which I think is a is a great look for the series, and I, I like it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. It's just, um, it, it was just a little strange how, like, how I was like, well, like, I mean, they're they're going all out for like the cursing and you know certain types of content, mm-hmm. but then they 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 make it really strange how they do with the violence. But yeah, so that that's another thing. But um, yeah, there's a lot of cursing, and most of it comes from Mondo. Uh, let's see here. We got the ultimate programmer. Uh, which is a girl named Chichiro. Chihiro. Chihiro. I think so. Okay. Um, the uh, let's see here. The ultimate this affluent prodigy. Yes. Byakuya. Byakuya. Yeah. But all right. Pronounce that one more time. Uh, Byakuya Togami. Bakuya. But just people just call him Togami. People usually address these characters for their last name, which is more 
the proper way to address someone you don't know too well in Japan, but whatever. Right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he's the the ultimate ultimate. Basically, we were talking about that before the show. Yeah, he just he's able to. He's incredibly rich. He comes from a very prestigious family. He's very well learned. Uh, he's incredibly smart, and he's able to just basically excel at anything he does, including uh, including making a lot of money if he wants to. Right. He's um, an asshole. <laughs> he is a dick. Yes. Uh, we have uh, the ultimate gambler, which is C- Celestia. Uh, Celestia. Celeste. Um, who they they distinctly say that they don't think she's Japanese. Um, no, she's, she is partially Japanese, but she pretends not to be Okay. for her self image. That's why she wears all those like weird clothes and gave herself a fake name. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so that, that was the thing. It was like, cause I know that at the beginning they were like, are you even Japanese? And I was like, well, I mean, she does have a American sounding name, uh, but, uh, or not American, but you know, not non-Japanese sounding. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know any Americans named Ludenberg. <laughs> that, that's true. I, that, when, when the last name was Ludenberg, I was like, well, is she German or something? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's the ultimate gambler. Uh, also I would say ultimate deceiver. Well, those two go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, strategist could be another one. Yeah, that's two. That's two. Uh, we have the ultimate baseball player, which is Leon. Yes. Uh, we have uh, God. It was the ultimate uh, the the ultimate rider. Um, the the girl uh, Toko. Yeah, Toko Fukawa. Yep. There you go. Uh, yeah, she's uh, the ultimate rider. Um, well known for her uh, romance novels. She's she's written over like I think like something like a hundred books. Best all of them bestsellers. So yeah. she is. An ultimate indeed. Uh, we have the ultimate swimming professional. Swimming, she's, she is a professional swimmer. Yep. Best swimmer in the world. Uh, and it's uh, Aoi? Aoi? Aoi. Okay. But uh, you can just call her Asahina. Asahina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and she, there, for some reason, I've noticed. She looks different from the other characters. She's just really tense. She's swimming a lot, I guess. I guess. Outside, I, I don't know. The thing, the thing that gets me though is that I've seen her type of character before. I'm talking like the the look of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's one in Persona Four that you can actually uh, bond with. I can't remember what that character's name was in Persona Four, but they look alike. Same kind of hairstyle, same tan skin color. I don't know if that's just a thing or what, but um, I don't know. But yeah, she's she's the ultimate swim pro. Um, God, what else was there? There was the oh oh yeah the 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 giant guy. Uh, the the ultimate fanfic writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I swear. Every time, all right. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, he's the ultimate the uh, the ultimate uh, fanfic writer. Um, Yamada, I think yes. was his last name. Yeah, that's, that's Yamada. Um, that dude is ridiculous. <laughs> he's he's a large guy and he loves 2D. Apparently, he's like three hundred pounds, three hundred twenty something pounds. Looking at him, he probably looks like he's even more than that. But yeah, regardless of the fact, he just he makes fan fiction like dojins and stuff like that. He's the best at that, I suppose. Yeah, which is still you know I, I mean it's like an artist, right? 
Pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like a like, I guess comic artist. Something similar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. There's also uh, the ultimate uh, sci- clairvoyant or psychic. Yes. I guess. I, I guess it's psychic. Uh, clairvoyant, psychic, kind of interchangeable. Yeah. You know, I, maybe we'll get into that in later chapters. This dude isn't really psychic for shit. Yeah, he looks like a complete another fraud, doesn't he? And he yeah. sounds like it. Like everything he says is wrong. He's like an idiot. He's like a bumbling idiot who is scared of everything. I'm like, dude, you should know everything since you're a clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. But they never touch on that, at least in these first two chapters. Yeah, at least not yet. Right? Yeah, I know. Man, now I'm nervous here because <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting kind of. Crazy. This is getting crazy. Nobody, nobody is safe, and nobody is as what they seem to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is also the ultimate f- uh, fashion designer, fashion fashionista, I think is what they called her. Yes, fashionista. Um, and that was uh, Junko, I think was her name. Um, is that it? Have I named them all? No, you missed um, – I, I believe you missed two. No, you missed three. I missed three. I know there, there was one. We don't know what she's the ultimate of. That's Kirigiri, and yeah. she's the ultimate question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. She won't tell you what she's the ultimate of. Well, I have a good idea of what she probably is. Well, yeah. I mean, once you see her, uh, the way she kind of maneuvers herself and deduces things, you can kind of guess what she might be. Right. Um, and there's another one. I'm, I'm surprised you missed her because she is very hard to miss. Sakura. Sakura, the ultimate martial artist. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot about that one. How did you forget about her? She's she's crazy. The, the because you don't really she's behind the scenes in almost everything. Yeah, so far. Yeah, so far. But I mean, I'm just like you don't hear much out of her. She doesn't talk that much. But mm-hmm. yeah, I totally forgot about her. That's Sakura is <sighs> the ultimate martial artist. Um, she looks like a man. She looks like she just came out of the Fist of the North Star. Yes, that's exactly and, yeah. what I was thinking of. Yeah, and then she can probably kill you with her pinky kind of person. You are already dead. Yes, yes <laughs> so. that's exactly the character model. And she, she's great, but she, as you say, she hasn't really done too much in the first two chapters. And the last one uh, is Ishimaru, the ultimate moral compass. The moral compass being uh, kind of like – if you're in like a student council – and your job is like kind of on the dis- dis- uh, disciplinary squad, right? And you kind of tell people what you ought to be doing and stuff like that. It's kind of like that. Who? Uh, Ishimaru, the um, the guy with the, with the with the white jacket. Oh He's always yeah. telling people what to do. Oh yeah, I telling people about to him. get around, uh, get you know, like really uh, take care of each other. He his his face and his hairstyle reminds me of the guy from Yu Yu Hakusho. I would say Mondo reminds more me more of the guy from Yu Yu Hawk Show. That, that's true. I mean, he acts like Mondo, but for some reason, that face, that face looks familiar to me. The face looks like that or maybe Lupin the Third almost. Maybe. He has it's, very simple features. For yeah, sure. it's very simple, but very kind of goofy. Yeah. You know, um, exaggerated, I should say. And um, I believe that covers all of them, all, yeah. all 15. I can't. It's, there's a ton of kids. Um, oh, yeah, a ton of characters. But yeah, so we we meet all of them, and um, we're then told to go to the uh, gymnasium. 
And when we go to the gymnasium, we meet the headmaster. Everything's everything's a little weird. Why is everything boarded up? Also, why is there this gigantic fucking safe-looking door on the uh, on the exit? With, with Gatling guns and cameras attached yeah, to it. There's, there's Gatling guns and uh-huh. cameras. Uh, cameras are all over this place. Yep. So we make it to the uh, to the gymnasium, and uh, the headmaster is there, and the headmaster is revealed to be an animatronic bear called. Called Monokuma. Yes. Um, I know Kuma is bear. What does mono mean? I think mono just means single. Single bear? Yeah. Okay. Kind of like half-half, you know, because the half the white side, half the black, so one-one. Yeah. Yeah. Strange-looking character. Um, reminds me of Teddy a little bit, but more of the <laughs> Teddy. Well, he came way before Teddy. Uh, because he's like what Duncan Ropa was first put out like 2009 or something. That's uh, 2010. 2010. When did Persona 4 come out? Uh, two, oh, it was early PS3 times. So I'd say 2007, maybe 2008. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I could be wrong. Let me look it up here. Uh, Persona 4. Persona 4 doesn't seem that far away, but it has been a while. Persona 4 is 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah, that game's old. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because I played Persona 4 Golden not too long ago, so it's like fresh in my memory. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, um, we go to the opening ceremony, and uh, Monokuma is there, and uh, through a strange dialogue, he he is like a very he's like a evil but happy and enthusiastic. Yes character um who basically lays down the ground rules and uh the ground rules are you are going to stay in this building this school for the rest of your life and everything as far as accommodations like food water stuff like that will be provided to you for free and it is resupplied every single day if you want to leave, there is one way to do so. You have to kill another student that's in the school. On top of that, you also have to make sure you get away with it. Nobody finds out who you are. And doing so, when you kill, when somebody dies, they hold a student council a class trial. Class trial. Yes. And they debate on who they think is the killer. If they are able to recognize the correct killer and vote for that person, that person is then found out and is executed. But if the entire class votes on the wrong person and doesn't get the correct killer, the entire class dies except for the killer, and the killer graduates and is allowed to leave the school. That is the beginning of this game. Yep, that's the that's the premise of this lifestyle. So at this point, I'm thinking this is like a combination of like Saw <laughs> with maybe uh, Battle Royale. 
Yeah, the the comparison certainly can be drawn. But there's a lot more mystery involved um, because you can't just walk up to somebody and, and, and stab them in the chest while other people are around because then they'll know who you are and then automatically vote you. Um, but there are some other ground rules which are stated in our student handbook. Uh, the student handbook uh, has a few things. There are certain restricted areas after nighttime. Uh, nighttime starts at 10 p.m. and ends at 8 a.m. Uh, so you can't go to certain places during those times. Um, at the same time, any type of violence toward the headmaster is prohibited. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. There's a, there's a couple other rules. Um, yeah, there's a couple that you can't you can't just go around like sleeping in random places. That's not your room. Yeah, you can't sleep in something other than a dormitory. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to sleep in a dormitory. So sleeping is prohibited anywhere else. Um, and if you break these rules that are in your student handbook, it is punishable by death. Which we find out kind of sim- kind of like right away. <laughs> yep. Um, Mono, not Mono. Um, um, Mondo. Mondo. Yep. He's like fuck you, and then grabs a hold of Monokuma and is holding it up, kind of like choking it, which it's an animatronic bear, but whatever. Um, and that's violence against the headmaster and they hear like this beeping sound and he, th- he throws it because it's a bomb and Monokuma explodes and then another one shows up. So whoever's controlling these animatronic bears has a bunch of them. Yep. Just, just destroying one does nothing. Yeah. So somebody is watching everybody through these cameras, watching every, every move, uh, they're listening in on conversations. He has these animatronic bears that just pop up out of nowhere. Um, there's a lot going on here. As well yeah. as, like, not necessarily traps, but you could be killed at any moment. Not just by a student, but also if you do decide to break a rule, you, you're pretty much going to die. Except for Mondo, because he he you know he threw the bear away. Well, he got he was warned to do so. He wasn't smart enough to figure it out on his own. But that, that's yeah. true. But you'd think after that he like he or, you know what you were still going to kill you. Uh, no, it it was he actually uh, specified in that particular instance that he said that he wasn't making uh, the rule clear. So he gave Mondo another chance, basically at that point, saying like, "Oh, you know, you were supposed to die from that explosion, but since this is just this is kind of like your first day, I'll just let this one pass." Right. Yeah. Okay. So that is the foundation for the story. And so begins everybody speculating on what the hell's going on. Nobody really knows. Uh, and for the first couple of days, people are just trying to find a way out. Uh, there are multiple parts of the school that are closed off. Doors are locked. Uh, there's also multiple floors to the school uh, that uh, we can't reach yet because gates are locked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're stuck on the first floor right now, which is where the dormitories are, as well as a few other places. So there is a mechanic that I need to talk about. Um, and that mechanic is a lot like persona where 
you have social links. Uh, you have throughout the day different allotted times that you can do stuff. Uh, and in those allotted times, you can choose to spend time with people in the school. Doing so kind of increases your bond with them. Um, and so you, everybody in, in the school you can, you can hang out with, basically. You, uh, you learn more stuff about them, and it actually fills out their bio sheet and their uh, student handbook. The more yeah. times you hang out, the more you learn. And also uh, you'll, you get these skill points. Uh, like you, it adds to your maximum skill points, and then you also get skills yeah. as well that you can use uh, during the class trials and other times. Yeah, I noticed that because uh, – all right, so the, the first time you do this, what they really want you to do – um, and, and what the game kind of pushes you to do is hang out with uh, Sakya Sayako. Sayako, and uh, she, because she seems to recognize you. Yeah, she actually recognized you uh, right off the bat as someone well, like a classmate that she knew from the past. Yeah, she um, was. Yeah, and so if you hang out with her, which they kind of suggest you to do that, you don't have to. But the game's like, hey, why don't you hang out with her today? Um. She kind of reveals that I remember you from middle school, and you know, uh, you, you, you I, apparently she was a pop sensation then because she was like the popular girl in school and everybody knew her. And Makoto was like, I was just an average guy, I didn't think you actually noticed me. Um, and he obviously has a huge crush on this girl. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, he, he's got a giant crush on her. Uh, you can tell right away. Um, I mean, he even says it to himself, you know, he's like, I feel like I want to protect her from this. Uh, so, um, he kind of forms a relationship with her and I was like, okay, so it's kind of, you're going to quickly find out that I, I have people I want to hang out with. Right. And then those people don't, those people are not the people you should hang out with. Or maybe they are because, you know, there's not that many chances to do so. Maybe you made the right move. I don't know. You yeah, know? That's true. But it's, <laughs> it seems like all the people I hung out with either turned out to be murderers or got murdered. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. You know, when you're in a when you're in that situation where people are trying to escape by killing someone else and getting away with it, uh, trust is a bit hard to come by. I know. Yes. So there's been a lot of revelations in, in even in this these first two chapters, but so um, so why don't we go uh, directly into the the first crime scene? So yeah, so uh, there is a couple of things that uh, happen. The first thing that I let's see, this is where I have to fill in the gaps here to okay. to 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 actually show this. Since there are no murders going on. Monokuma is getting kind of antsy. Mm. So he decides he wants to give people incentive to kill each other. So he gives everybody a, a DVD to watch. And everybody watches this DVD, including our character, Makoto. Uh, and Makoto, on his video, sees uh, a picture of his family um, looking at a camera. Uh, and then the, uh, it kind of cuts away and it, when it comes back, it's a picture of where the family was sitting, but it's like the couch is all cut up and 
and they're missing and nobody knows what the hell happened. You know, his mom, his dad, and I think it's his sister or his brother. can't remember. Sister. Sister. And he's like, he did something to my fucking family. I yeah, that's uh, that's kind of implied, right? The the way the room was all messed up. It's like something someone broke in. There was like a violence, like struggle. a struggle. Yeah. yeah. So he and you know, Makoto was like, I got to get out of here to to save my family to make sure they're all right. Um, and everybody sees these videos. We don't know what they saw, but everybody's kind of freaking out about this. Um, and so after that, um. While everybody's freaking out, of course, we're already starting to kind of get close to – oh, excuse me. Man, I got choked there for a second. You're, you're, you're right, buddy? You're yeah, okay. yeah, I'm okay. Okay. So so well, we're starting to get close to <clears throat> to Sayaka, um, and she kind of takes us to the side and is like she, she's, she's seriously messed up. Whatever she saw on her tape, she's, she's kind of like – frozen and scared and a little desperate. And she asks us to, since since she's so scared to possibly switch rooms with her or not necessarily switch rooms with her to, to, she wants to stay with us for the night and then being, being the prude that we are right. Well, we can't do that. <laughs> right. So let's just switch rooms. I'll stay in your room and then you can stay in mine. Well, she's afraid because of this whole motivation thing. Someone might try to kill uh, someone that's an easy target, like like a girl like her. Yeah. So in order to protect Sayaka, uh, Makoto decides that he's going to switch rooms with her. Yeah. So there's a couple of things, stipulations I had to mention here. The dormitories. Everyone is assigned a dormitory, and um, the, each dorm room has a uh, a label. Um, saying who it is in each on each door. On top of that, the men's dorms are uh, the bathrooms do not have locks on them, uh, and they are also given a toolkit that has different types of tools, which Monokuma says oh, you can use that to kill people with. If you want. If and you want. Uh, the girls get the, what, a sewing kit, right? Yeah, the girls get a sewing kit, and they also have locks on their bathroom doors because they're girls. I, I don't I, – whatever. There's there's multiple times in this game where it kind of mm-hmm. comes off as a little sexist. Uh, a little bit, but uh, you know how Japan is with uh, how conservative it might be. But it's also ultimately it's, – it's there to set up for these crime scenes. Mostly. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, so, uh, during the night, um, Makoto goes to, uh, Sakia's room and, uh, or Sayaka's room, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, and, um, he sleeps there for the night. Um, he also gives her his key because everybody has an individual key that can, that nobody can, so nobody can pick the lock of your yeah, room. It's impossible. Yep. Uh, so, uh, so this individual key is basically the only way to get in. So they switch keys, switch rooms. Uh, the next morning, um, he goes back to his room to check it out. Doors unlocked. That's weird. And, um, when he enters, he sees that the room is all kinds of fucked up. Uh, it looks like, uh, somebody got into a major fight. Uh, and then when he goes into his bathroom, 
he sees Sayaka laying there dead with a gigantic butcher knife sticking out of her chest. And so I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, this, I think I think it's a little bit more than just weird. Because the game kind of set up this character as one of the main characters, like, kind of like her, the love interest of the story, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you, you got to know her best, or you were kind of incentivized to know her best, and then she's the first person to get killed. Yeah. Yep. It's like, that, that kind of took me by surprise when I first saw it. I was like, well, really? So I was thinking, here, here, here was my, here was my, my, thought process on that was like we're gonna get to know her and she you know it's all gonna be lovey-dovey and then like in chapter four or something like that (laughs) she's gonna turn out to be a murderous fucking fiend right that's what i was thinking um but no she's dead right off the bat yep it's first one to die um and there's multiple things there's a couple things i forgot to mention um which i guess we can talk about during the trial sure but um, so we see the body. We kind of freak out. Every and then other people start coming in, and they're like, "Oh shit!" And they're like, "Did you do this? Because this happened in your room." <laughs> yeah, I mean, possession is nine tenth of the law, right? <laughs> so I mean, come on, it happened in your room where nobody else can break into. So you're obviously the most uh, credible criminal here. So yeah. So, um, and we're like, no, we switched rooms. We're like, yeah, likely story. And we, we, I didn't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but they, we hold a, a, an assembly because this is the first time somebody's been murdered. Um, and, uh, Monokuma wants to talk to everybody and lay down the rules because we don't know exactly what happens. So he never, he never described to us what it meant to become blackened and what it meant to get away with it. Uh, it just said that in the student handbook. So when we go back to the new assembly, he actually describes what that means. And that means we're going to have a class trial in a few hours. So you guys need to do an investigation to see if you could get clues to find out who did this. And then he goes over the rules of if we find the person who did it, they get executed. But if they get away with it, we all get executed and they get to walk free. So, um, but during that time, um, the, one of the other students tries to uh, attack Monokuma. Uh, kind of, but not not too hard. Like not too, not as hard as like Mando. But uh, we're dissatisfied and was trying to kind of like I, I'm not sure to do kind of something something somewhat violent to it. Yeah. Um, and um, that that person was a, a Junko. Which is the ultimate fashionista? Yeah, uh, who is the person that I would decide I was going to hang out with? <laughs> you got to stop ha- trying to hang out with people. You're killing them, true. I know. It's killing them one at a time. I right? think that's the thing. I think it's like the James Bond syndrome. If James Bond sleeps with a woman, <laughs> they're going to die. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was going to hang out with her next. Uh. But now nah, she she slightly attacks Monokuma, and uh, Monokuma has fucking. Turrets shoot her full of fucking uh, like javelins. Yeah, like spears, almost spears. And I mean, she gets shot up about six, seven times. She's got yep. multiple spears stabbed through her, and she falls over dead. Yep. So there goes our second 
student did. Because um, it, it might have been at that point, or rather until that point, Manakuma was maybe bluffing because he didn't kill Mando that first time, right? Right. So maybe he was being lax or bluffing, but this is this is this was him kind of making the point, like I will enforce these rules, that kind of thing, putting his foot down almost. Yeah. So another one dead. Yeah. So she's she's dead. We're all kind of freaking out about that. Like Jesus Christ, yeah, she's fucking dead. <laughs> and he's like, okay, get to investigating, guys. And we're like, will you just kill one of our friends? <laughs> yeah, and the rest of you will die if you don't find the culprit. So, yeah, I guess we need to start doing our job here. Mm-hmm. So, um, first thing we do is go back to our room. Um, and um, everybody's kind of there, – there, there's multiple speculations of like, well, we all know, you know Makoto did it. It happened in his room. Nobody else can get in there. You know, there's tons of people saying that. And it's a lot of like people being desperate saying, well, we all know it was you. So let's just go ahead and vote, you know, and stuff like that. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, they just witnessed two back to back murders. They're just regular ass kids. They don't, you know, they're not exposed to any of this. So it makes sense that they're in this like really disheveled sense of mind, right? Yeah. They can't really make sense of what's really going on and process it logically. So they're all being crazy and desperate. But there is one person who has kept a cool head during this whole time, and that is uh, uh, Kyoko. Uh, yeah, Kirigiri, right? Yeah, Kirigiri, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she is basically just kind of keeping silent, but at the same time doing a lot of investigating. Uh, she's examining the body. She's examining the crime scene. And she's trying to figure this stuff out. Um, and she's one of the first people you talk to when you're in your room. Uh, and she's trying to go over everything. So there's two things I forgot to mention. Uh, and uh, one of them being before when we f- before we switch rooms with uh, Sayaka, um, we got a uh, sword. Um, it, it was a sword. Uh, it was in the gymnasium, and it was kind of like a trophy sword, like a samurai trophy sword that was uh, obviously had been painted gold. Right. It's like an ornamental thing. Yeah, and uh, it, it had been freshly painted uh, because we found that out whenever we grabbed it. it we got paint all over our hands. Uh, but she wanted something that could possibly protect themselves, so, so uh, we decided to take that back to our room. Just in case if somebody wanted to attack us, we could try to defend ourselves. Um, so that's been there for like a day or two days. Um, and we noticed that the the sheath has been uh, thrown on the floor and the sword has as well. Um, but there's no blood on the sword. Uh, that That's another thing. Like mm-hmm. some of this stuff is a little heavy handed um, because they're like it, – it, well, you have to think about the first case, especially as the tutorial. Yeah. They want to make it as obvious as you can so even like a dum-dum can figure it out. So that's why it's heavy-handed as hell. Yeah. Because they were like, well, there's no blood on the sword. How did she die? And I'm like, there's a fucking butcher knife sticking out of her chest. Yes. I'm just like, come on, guys. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, when you examine the body, you know, it comes, okay, she has a knife in her chest. Well, where the hell did we get a butcher knife? She didn't have one, and I know I didn't have one. Um, and, and on top of that, how the hell did they get inside? So, um, there's a few, there's a few things, um, that we find out. Uh, the first one being, uh, the fight obviously began 
in the uh, in the bedroom itself, but it ended with her dying in the bathroom. Um, but we notice a few things. One of them being that the the bathroom doorknob has basically been almost torn off. It's just hanging there. Um, and it's interesting because there was another thing I forgot to mention was that before the murders and all that stuff happened, there was a instance where we were trying to use the bathroom and we couldn't open the door. And we're like, is the door locked? And then Monokuma shows up out of nowhere <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I forgot to mention your door gets stuck because it doesn't fit the, uh, the door frame. So you just have to lift up on it and then push it open. Um, so yeah, no, your door doesn't have a lock on it. It's just, it gets stuck sometimes. And I'm like, okay. And that was just some, just random thing, but it comes up a little bit later. So, um, we, we realized that the, the door knob has been broken off, uh, pretty much, which means that somebody tried, somebody tried to open the door, couldn't get it open and then got tools and tried to take the doorknob off. So we're like, okay, that's weird. We go check our tool box. Our toolbox hasn't been tampered with. Um, and then on top of that, there is also something behind uh, Sayaka, uh, which uh, looks like it was written in her own blood. Uh, looks like she wrote something, like a like, dying message. Like a, like a bunch of numbers, right? It looks like numbers. Uh, it looks like uh, it was it's 1137. 1137? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 1137. Yeah. yeah, 1137. And we're like, what the hell does that mean? Nobody really the, knows. Actually, what was the one that one one zero three seven? Yeah, one one zero three seven. Yeah, one one zero three seven. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm trying to leave it in suspense, even though I know what it is. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and I knew it right away whenever I saw it. Of course. Um, but you know, we'll get into that. Um, so <laughs> we see that. Um, and we also say, well, there's also a a a kind of like a garbage disposal area, uh, a, a trash area. Where we can throw stuff away. Maybe um, the killer, whoever did this, they tried to destroy some evidence. So the we th- incinerator, right? Yeah, the incinerator yes. and uh, what, what's the the area called? Is it just the trash room or something like that, or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, so they have an incinerator and they have like a dumpster and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so we we go to the trash room to see if anybody's tried to destroy anything. Uh, but there's this gigantic gate. We can't get in. Uh, and only the person with the key can get in. And each week, uh, they, a new person becomes the person on trash duty to gather trash and take it to the, the incinerator and the dumpster and stuff like that. Uh, and the person on trash duty this week was um, the, the the overweight fan. Yeah, Yamada. Guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he comes in. He's like, well, okay, well, I'll let you in. And he lets us in. We go in and we see that there's a few things that's kind of weird. First one being the incinerator is on, and he distinctly remembers it being off when he brought the trash down. He left, and it was not on, but somehow it is on. And there is a button right there, a big big red button that you can hit that turns it on. Uh, and that's kind of weird. Also, uh, below it, uh, on the ground... There is a piece of burned cloth. It looks like the sleeve of a uh, button-up white shirt, and it's got blood on it. Um, that's weird. Mm-hmm. 
And then on top of that, there is also a broken glass. It looks yes. like, um, but it's a s- spherical glass. So it looks like almost like a, um, like one of those, um, crystal balls that, uh, the, um, fortune tellers use. Mm-hmm. So we're like, Oh, I see what's going on here. Fortune teller. We got a clairvoyant in our midst. Yeah, he must be the killer. Let's go talk to him. Yes. And he's like, yeah, I left it in the uh, the, the laundry room the other day, and somebody must have picked it up. Yeah, likely story, buddy. Okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but we but that's the thing is like there was no way anybody could get through the gate because the fanfic guy had the key the entire time. So then we're like, well, did the fanfic guy do this? Because, mm-hmm. you know, he's got the key. Um, but nobody really knows. Nobody has any motive to do this except for, oh, you know, we're locked up and we want to get out. So desperation is mainly the, the most, the, the most, um, the biggest motive that we have is people just want to get the hell out of here. Yeah. It's like people don't, people are not killing each other because they have a grudge or want to kill. They just want to get out, and they're kind of desperate to do so because whatever the the tape showed them just kind of drove them to the edge. Right. So, man, uh, am I missing any type of evidence? Uh, no, I think that covers most of it. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't have to touch on every single detail. We can just uh, uh go into kind of in a brushing motion the more important ones, and then we should be okay. Yeah. We'll try and fill in the gaps the best we can during yep. the trial. So we go to the trial. Uh, the trial takes place uh, down. Uh, we get into an elevator, and he takes us down into like a um, courtroom-looking area. Uh, in a big circle, there's um, a bunch of seats, and everybody sits down in a seat so everybody's facing each other. I think they're all standing, actually. Uh, yeah, it looks like they're standing, but they have, but they keep saying seats. Um, like de- their designated spot. You know how when you're giving testimony, and then in the Phoenix Wright games, you're kind of standing in front of like a podium-looking thing. Yeah, it's like those, but in in a round circular area. It's like a stand. Yes. Take take the stand. Mm-hmm. So they're all standing around. They're all looking at each other, kind of like Knights of the Round Table kind of deal. Uh, and he also has pictures of the people who have already died. So we're standing next to a picture of <laughs> Sayaka. Yeah. And it's got a big X through it. <laughs> yeah, a little too soon, you know. Poor Makoto, yeah. right? Jeez. But there's also another interesting thing that's brought up. Um, there's 15 students in all. Mm-hmm. There's 16 stands. Oh. And we don't know what that 16th stand is. Well, uh, when they asked Monokuma, it says, oh, you know, it just it can have a maximum of 16, but it, it just happens that you have 15. Yeah. But can you really trust this? Trust this thing, right? No, there's. <laughs> trust me. When I saw that, I was like, "There's a twist." We all. Yeah, there's a something here. <laughs> Something's yeah. gonna happen here. Uh, but um, so yeah, so we begin the trial. Um, and there's multiple phases to the trial, and uh, I have to explain this because this is kind of the gameplay mechanic. So. It, but besides us talking to people and then also investigating areas. So the game plays out kind of like a first person adventure game yes. where you, you look at a scene and you can interact with things in the environment. So it's kind of like a point and click adventure game. Uh, so that's part of the gameplay. The other part is during these trials and the trials, 
this is this is really strange, um, and I have a few problems with it. Sure. The, the the way they do things in this game. So the first phase of every trial is a debate where people are talking about what happened and there is multiple talking points that pop up. Some of them being crucial points. Crucial points are usually in yellow. And we have our evidence, which is also known as truth bullets. And we can shoot truth bullets at yellow pieces of an argument to break them. Because so whatever whatever seems like a contra a contradiction, you shoot your truth bullet into that argument, and then you break it, and then it becomes a becomes like a thing. That's correct. Yes, but you have to aim it. You have to use the analog stick to move a cursor and shoot it, and the contradictions move. You have to aim and shoot them. Mm-hmm. There's been multiple times where I missed – I just missed because I, I didn't shoot it fast enough. And I'm like, come on. I know that that's the right thing. Why are you making me do this arbitrary shooting this thing? Um, are you using the R1 button? I'm using the triangle button. No, are you using the R1 button to slow the slow the thing down? I do. I did that later. All right. All right. So, so – Full disclosure, this game has trophies. There is a trophy for not using concentration in uh-huh. in a debate, and I, I wanted to go for that trophy on the easiest one. So there, Drew. Okay. Drew. Drew. Don't complain about your foot bleeding when you shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> you know. Okay? I'm just I'm just putting that out there. They gave you that system and mechanics so that you don't have to worry about that, and then you don't use it, and then you complain about not being able to use it. It's not. No. At the same time, though, come on. This missed. Argument dismissed. Move on. Next one. I'm going to Go pull, on. I'm pulling out my truth bullet. All right. So, uh, but you know, it, it's just it, it, like, but there's multiple phases to this to this mm-hmm. trial, um, and it's that's just one part of it, which is the class debate, um, and then there's another part where um, you're having, but they introduce a bunch of mechanics to it. That's the thing. It's so weird. Like you're getting tutorials, like you know, four hours into this game. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, they're still adding stuff. But it's like this small, like, oh, this white noise is now floating around, and you got to shoot it uh, because it will block your shots trying to shoot contradictions. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And, you know, I'm just like, come on. Well, yeah, that's just to add a bit more like difficulty to actually uh, putting down the thing. And also, like, if you shoot the wrong thing, it like gets rid of uh, one of your hearts. So it's the game developers trying to make the game more interactive than it is. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. Some of it doesn't work. Like uh, like you said, like the noise thing doesn't really need to be there. Uh, but it does give you something to do while you're waiting for the, t- uh, the, the, the text to go. And you're also using the circle button to make things go faster if you do yeah. miss, right? That's so let, let's say if you do miss, it's, it's maybe like a couple of seconds away from trying again. So it's not that big of a deal, but it is, it is an annoyance. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Okay. There's also um... – God, it was it, like they just straight up ask you like present evidence. So like I, I keep comparing this to a Phoenix Wright game because it's a lot like one. This trial part is a lot like a trial in Phoenix Wright, um, where you know you, you're you're knocking points down with your truth bullets, and they're like, okay, well, what do you think happened? And then they'll just straight up ask you, what what do you think happened? And like where's it, where's the evidence to prove your claim? Yeah, and then you have to answer like a multiple choice uh, question. Uh, and this whole thing is timed. 
You know, you can run out of time. Which you should, which should never really happen, though. <laughs> no, I have I have twenty minutes to do this. Yeah, exactly. You know? And the trials never lasted me longer than twenty minutes. But uh, at the same time, you just see that clock ticking down. I'm like, okay, I got, I get it. I got, I kind of have to hurry, but <laughs> but not really. Yeah, it, it'll become more of a factor in the more complicated cases, but not so much for the first two. Yeah. So. um and there, there was another mechanic which uh, I have. To, I, I'm saving the last one because it's like a rhythm action game. Um, but there was one other one, but I can't remember what it is. Uh, the Hangman's Gambit is probably yeah, that yeah. is. Oh, uh, it's just basically you're just trying to type out a letter. Yeah, but the but, but the second one it wasn't even a real word. Which one? Schizo. Schizo. Yeah, uh, I think what happened is that there was like a five letter Japanese thing. And they tried to had to fit in what that was right. in that way. So it does. I mean, it's part of the word that is correct. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It is not the entire thing. I, I, yeah, it's, it's a little. It's a little gamey. Yeah, I, I kept seeing. I was like, I don't know what I'm spelling here. What the fuck? And I was like, it's not even a word. I had to look it up. I looked it up because I was well, like, I no, it, it is a word. It just it wasn't as accurate to what you were talking about in that particular time. I know, but it, you know. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's for the second chapter. Which we God, we're running. Long here already, but um, so yeah, so everybody thinks that Makoto is the killer. It happened in his room. Nobody else could get in there. Uh, he, he's been acting kind of close to her for a long time. Maybe he was just trying to get close to her to kill her. Right. Um, but Makoto's like, no, we switch rooms. Um, and we switch rooms to um, to to protect her. Basically, but there's a few things that that ended up happening. Uh, we noticed that the the when we switched rooms, we didn't switch our nameplates for the rooms, but somebody went ahead and switched them. Somebody knew that we switched rooms, mm-hmm. uh, so they switched our nameplates. Why would they do that? Who knows? Um, on top of that, the sword wasn't used to kill her. She was killed with a butcher's knife. Well, where's the butcher's knife from? We went and investigated that, found that there was a butcher's knife missing from the kitchen. And there was only one other person in the kitchen during the time. Or there was a person in in the the, the lunch area, the lunchroom. Right. And she saw go into the kitchen. And that person was Sayaka. The the dead murdered person herself. The murdered, the murdered person, the pop star. Yes. She said that she saw her go into the kitchen and then leave. So there's an account. So Sayaka obviously didn't feel protected enough, so she went and got a butcher's knife just in case. But then there's also another piece of evidence that's introduced uh, through uh, Kirigiri. Uh, she didn't tell us about this. She kind of saved it for the Trump card. Uh, but she presented an evidence, piece of evidence that had a, it was actually a note that had been written. And uh, that note was saying, meet me in my room. Uh, I need to discuss something with you. So if the person who met her Obviously, is the person that killed her, right? And the note was written by Sayaka, 
And uh, she also uh, specified that make sure you look at the uh, the nameplate to make sure you come to the right room. Right. So it is now confirmed that Sayaka was the ones who changed the nameplates to make sure they knew the right room. Right. Um, but we still don't know who actually went into the room. So, um, and what what the hell actually happened? So uh, we see that the butcher knife was used to kill her. So we're thinking somebody got the jump on her and uh, she tried to attack with the knife, but then uh, they took it away from her and stabbed her. Okay. Right. But then we noticed that the, the golden sword, samurai sword, um, was actually used in the attack. So we're thinking, okay, well, who attacked first? But what ended up happening was when you look at the sword and look at the sheath, it looks like it was hit with the butcher knife. So the person with the butcher knife was the person who attacked first. Yes, and we established that Sayaka was the person who owned the butcher knife or who took the butcher knife, so... hmm. So it looks like Sayaka was trying to attack somebody, and they ended up having to defend themselves with the golden samurai sword. Um, so the interesting part about this is that this whole entire time, everyone has assumed that Sayaka was the one that was attacked and killed. Because obviously she's the victim, so you assume that way. Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, the evidence shows that Sayaka, not only did she lure someone to the room which she changed with Makoto, she also attacked first with the intent to perhaps kill that person. Yes. So that's, yeah, that was a big twist. So, yeah. That that was that was the craziest thing. Well, I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, that that innocent, really nice looking girl, right? Yeah, uh, she attempted to kill somebody. She did, and then ended up getting killed herself when that person turned out to be more than she could handle. So the big question is, who was the person that killed her? Well, that's when we go back to the evidence that we found in the trash room. So we know that the only person who had access to the trash room was the fanfic guy, the 330-pound dude. <laughs> you're, really, you're, you're really kind of uh, putting that point across about how fat he is, isn't, aren't you? <laughs> he's gigantic. I mean, <laughs> he's he, big. He's big. He's yeah, big. he is, and he's annoying as shit. Eh, that, is, of, yeah. th- that is a person I will never hang out with. He's, uh, he's one of those really into anime people, I suppose. Yeah. He's- um, but he, does he have an alibi? I can't remember. I don't think so. Uh, the but, alibi for most people doesn't really exist, but it just comes down to what the evidence points to a particular individual. Yeah. So we come to the conclusion that whoever it was that killed Sayaka obviously couldn't get inside of the trash room because of the gate. So they tried to destroy the evidence the best they could. I mean, the evidence being the bloodstained shirt that they were wearing when they killed Sayaka. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So somebody took off their shirt and tried to throw it into the incinerator. 
through the gate. So they basically threw stuff in, in between the parts of the gate and um, tried to burn the shirt. Well, obviously, they couldn't get the shirt all the way in because it burned the sleeve off and it fell to the ground. Most of the shirt was burned, but not all of it. At the but same, the incinerator was also off at the time as well, so you needed to be turned on first. Yeah, uh, and the only way – and you can't reach that button from the gate, so you had to find something to hit it with. Well, we found that something, and that was the uh, crystal ball that was used because the crystal ball was broken right there below the incinerator. Mm-hmm. So somebody threw a crystal ball – hit the incinerator button, turned it on, and then threw their shirt into the incinerator to burn it to get rid of the evidence. See, normally that sounds impossible, right? Yeah. Who could throw something that small, that hard at a button that far away and actually hit it in order to turn something on and then once again throw their shirt through the gap in the in the grates in order to throw it into the incinerator itself to destroy the evidence? It sounds like a crazy man's theory. It does. Until – until we realized that we got the world's best of everything here, including yes. the world's best baseball player. Oh, yes. The best baseball player in all of the world. Yes. And only he could possibly do that because the crystal ball is about the same size as a baseball. Mm-hmm. He could throw it like that. Maybe he's a pitcher. Maybe he's really good at pinpoint accuracy. It was it was amazing at both. Yeah. Hitting and throw, uh, pitching. So, yes. So, there you go. But he's still refuting this. He's like, dude, I didn't do this. This is a harebrained idea. He's right, though. That's all circumstantial evidence, right? It's very true. Yes. But then there's another piece of crucial information that everybody forgot about. And that is that Sayaka, realizing that maybe trying to kill this person wasn't such a good idea, and I have a knife in my chest, and I'm about to bleed to death, I'm going to use my blood to write on the wall and write down the killer's name. So uh, when looking at what she wrote down, it looks like a bunch of numbers. 11037. Yes. And it it doesn't make any sense. We asked the computer programmer. She didn't know anything about it. So we don't know what that means. But then... Kirigiri tells us the way she was positioned, she had her back to the wall, which means she used her hand, her left hand, to write the name. And the way you look at it, you're looking down at it, which means we need to take whatever she wrote, turn it upside down, and that's what she really meant to write. Uh, Yep, 180 degrees, and you get a different perspective on it. You get L-E-O-I-I. But if you examine a little bit closer, it looks like the two eyes are connected with a slash in the middle, which spells Leon. Leon S. Kennedy. Leon S. Kennedy. I always knew he was a bad apple. Yeah, the rookie cop from Raccoon City is the killer. She named him. He was the only person who was able to throw something that far with that much accuracy so the evidence is now really piling up on Leon. However, all of this is still circumstantial. What if the actual killer wrote Leon's name in order to in order to frame him? That's also a very possible solution to that to that particular situation. So he says, "I want definitive proof that I was the one who did this," and he says, "You don't have it." Yeah, 
There was also something else I forgot to mention that we pinpointed it to. How we pinpointed it was a man was that uh, because of the door. Mm-hmm. The door was jammed um, and she locked herself in the bathroom. So when she got hit, so she tried to attack somebody, Leon, we, we, we're assuming. Well, she didn't lock herself in the door. This is this was Makoto's room. Yeah. She closed the door and it was jammed because that's how the door was at the time. Yeah. So she was trying to escape. So she tried to she tried to attack uh, Leon. We're just going to go ahead and say she tried to attack Leon. Leon then grabbed the golden sword and then hit her in her right hand and broke her right wrist. She then dropped the butcher knife and then decided to run to the bathroom and slam the door. Then Leon couldn't open the door because oh shit, this is the girl's room. This is a girl's room. I can't open this because it's got a lock on it. Yes. So he decided, let me run back to my room, grab my toolkit, and then try to take the doorknob off, which he then did. Then he broke in and then stabbed her in the chest with a butcher knife. Yes. And that is how we're established that it couldn't have been Makoto because Makoto knew that the door got stuck. Mm Mm-hmm. It had to have been somebody who didn't know the room so that they would take off the uh, the doorknob itself thinking that it was a girl's room. Because Mikoto obviously knew the issue with his own door. He wouldn't have had to go get a toolbox in order to open his own lock. He would have just lifted it up and opened it up right away. So it kind of was completely illogical for Mikoto to have done an extra step in that heat of the moment, making him the very unlikely suspect. Yeah. So going back to your last point of we need irrefutable evidence showing that Leon was actually the killer. You're going to have to tell me what that is because I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was setting you up too. But okay, uh, basically what happened is that the only way the person was able to get into that room uh, without knowing the trick to open that door was the toolbox, as you said. But all the toolbox that were given to the boys were sealed. Yeah. If 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 a person were to have used their toolbox, that means they would have to rip the seal off, uh, open it up, and then use a screwdriver within in order to use it. But none of the boys have had a reason to use a toolbox until that moment, uh, uh, until at all. So the only person that didn't have a sealed toolbox in their possession would have to guarantee to be the killer. So at that point, you say, Leon, show me your toolbox. Yeah, and seeing that it is unsealed would have been the nail in the coffin, along with all the other circumstantial evidence to say that he was the only possible culprit for this crime. And uh, there goes Leon's fate. Yeah. So then, after all this is put to a vote, I don't know is that is it is that really a vote? Yeah, it's a majority is both things. So, so but I'm, I'm saying it, it, as the game goes. If, if you, you if you, if you screw up and if you lose all of your health while you're doing this, they vote Makoto and you die. Okay, yeah. but but I'm I'm just saying, is there ever a time where you know five people vote for Leon, but two people vote for Makoto and three people vote for somebody else? No, no, it's it's usually one or the other. You say either either you win or you fail. Right, okay. I just, yeah. wanted, I just wanted to make sure I didn't know if there was something like, oh, you missed a couple, so now they don't think it's really him or something like that. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, so uh, everybody votes Leon, and um, Leon is all I could do. It was self-defense. I, I didn't 
it wasn't like I was trying to kill her. She invited me in there and she tried to kill me. Mm-hmm. But then we're like, well, yeah, but then you took the time to go back to your room yeah. and get the toolkit and then break the door and then kill her. You could have just said, okay, she tried to kill me. I'm going back to my room and not coming out. Yeah, so that there goes that uh, logic behind it. And also, uh, before that, the whole climax of it, uh, where you're putting together every single part of the case in comic book form, and you're trying to choose the images and stuff like that. How, how do you feel about that as far as gameplay element goes? I really like that, uh-huh. but there's two issues. One, it's in the form of Japanese manga. <laughs> oh, so right to left. And yeah. I can't, like, for the life of me, I can't know, it, do I go down or up? I, and there was multiple ones where I was like, shit, I can't, I know the order of this shit, but I don't know how to put it in this order because it's been a long time since I've read a manga. <laughs> it's just right to left, and then the whole down aspect of it is the same as left to right. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I really like that when when that music starts popping out and you piece together every little possible uh, uh, evidence and you pe- uh, you get the whole picture in one and you enact it in that like really neat lifting, uh, neat looking uh, comic book. That's like the climax of any case. I, I love that part of this game. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really really cool how they do that, and I like the faces. Like it, it's always like a unknown person who is yeah. the killer. So it's like just a silhouette of somebody who's got this evil face, but then it shows Sayaka with this like evil fucking face, mm-hmm. like getting ready to stab him. And I was like, Jesus, this is well, fucking nuts. It is because you you you're used to seeing her in a different light, and you know when she's about to prepare to be uh, prepared to kill somebody, she has a very different look on her face. So it's uh, but yeah. So we find Leon guilty. Uh, Monokuma says, "Congratulations, you have found the correct person." And now it's time for his execution, which he then sends off. Um, to um, okay. Uh, but yeah, he um, he it's it's weird how these executions are handled. So the a mechanical hand comes out of nowhere, grabs a hold of him and pulls him way off into like a, um, a batting cage. Uh, and they kind of strap him to a, uh, pole and then, um, has a, a pitching machine pelt him with fucking <laughs> baseballs. Thousands and thousands of baseball going what looks like at mock speed. Just- yeah. Is pummeling him to death. The, um, they machine gun him with baseballs, and he dies. Yep. A very painful death. That's what I imagine being stoned to death is like. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, there's the next student down. So just, the, just, the, just the first trial after, and there's three people dead already. Yep. Kind of crazy. Down real fast. Yep. So after that big revelation, <laughs> uh, we move on to a few days. Um, so the, now we're going into the more days where you can spend time with people. And y- you learn stuff from all these people. So I decided to hang out, and this is probably against my better judgment. Mm-hmm. I started hanging out with uh, the uh, the book writer, uh, Toko. Oh, really? Okay. Because I – I'm kind of like this this person who – all right, Toko is a very strange individual. She she apparently hates herself. 
she has an inferiority and persecution complex, like the the biggest persecution complex of all time. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's constantly um, just saying, you know, like, why'd you say that? Probably because you don't like me, and I don't blame you. You know, it's so weird. You, you look at her, and she says, like. Why are you looking at me like a piece of trash that doesn't deserve a second of your time, you know? And then you're just kind of looking at her normally, and you're like, wow, this person is crazy. Yeah. And yeah. And so my my whole thing was maybe if I get to know this person, she'll have more self-respect for herself. Okay. They'll, have a, they'll have a revelation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was, you know, I, I was all about that. And I was like, well, let me hang out with her. And yeah, I, I actually did. I, I, like, you can give them gifts and stuff like that. And I gave her a gift that she absolutely fucking loved. Um, and she finally actually opens up to me. Um, and she opens up to me in a way that I didn't realize um, was that uh, for a minute there, I thought she was probably developing a crush for Makoto. Mm-hmm. But then she opens up and says, I actually have a big crush on somebody here. And she actually has a crush on Senor Douchebag uh, <laughs> Togami. Yeah, Byakuya Togami, yeah. Uh, which is the uh, the prodigy, the 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 rich boy mm-hmm. who is a complete douchebag. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, why don't you go talk to him? And she's like, no, he probably hates me. Oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> yes. So after that time, after spending some time and stuff like that, we we eventually. Um, there's there's a couple of things I do want to mention. The first thing is is that after each trial, successful trial, uh, Monokuma actually opens up more of the um, of the school. So after this trial, he opened up the gates that goes to the second floor. And on the second floor, um, there's the library as well as uh, the swimming pool, and obviously the the ultimate swimmer is all happy about that. Uh, there's also a weight room, uh, mm-hmm. that you can go into. There's two weight rooms. There's one for men and one for, uh, girls. Um, and, uh, th- there's a few things that, that we, we learn here. One of them being is that our, our student, um, ebook. Yeah. The e-handbooks. The, yeah. e- the e-handbook kind of serves as like an ID badge. And, uh, in order for us to get into certain rooms, we have to scan it. Uh, to a panel. So in order for us to go into the boys' workout room, we have to scan our ID. And if it reads that you're a man, you can come on in. Uh, if it reads that you're a woman, you have to go into the women's room. Um, and there's a there's a new rule that's been added too. Uh, we can't trade our we can't we can't let somebody else use our badge or use our use our e handbook. So we, there's no trading. Um, so, uh, after a few days and stuff like that, um, you know, people's happy about going to the library and, um, um, it's weird because, uh, Togami, um, the douchebag rich kid, Mm -hmm. he's wanting to like hang out with us. And it's, it's, it's a little strange because he he shows no interest in anybody. He thinks he's God's gift to the fucking world. Um, and, uh, but he wants to hang out with this average person and he wants to share a few things with us. So he hangs out in the library a lot and he wants to talk to us about, um, a few things. 
Uh, and one of the things that's been brought up multiple times through cutscenes and stuff like that is these serial murders that have been taking place in Japan, not just in the school or whatever, but in Japan itself over the past few months, there has been these gruesome murders that took place. Uh, and the murders have all been done by somebody, but the internet has dubbed this person as, um, the, uh, oh, genocide Jack. There you go. Genocide Jack, uh, is what the internet's calling. And, um, so we constantly hear that through cutscenes and stuff like that. So you remember those genocide Jack murders and stuff like that? And like, you know, it's, it's small things I keep talking about. Very, very foreboding. Yeah. Indeed. So, um, we get our next murder. Unless you, am I skipping anything before that? Uh, well, in between, there was another piece of motivation, which is very important. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. so the uh, the other piece of motivation, um, and I have a feeling this is going to happen before every murder. <laughs> uh, I could be wrong. Um, but we have another assembly, and um, Monokuma comes out and says, well, you guys aren't killing anybody anymore, so I need to give you incentive. Uh, and he gives everybody a envelope. And in the envelope, he says that uh, this is your worst and biggest secret. I know everything about you, and I know this particular secret is your biggest. And if you don't, if somebody doesn't get killed, or if you don't, if if you don't murder somebody within 24 hours, and um, start a trial, I'm going to release this secret to not just the student body. But to the outside world. But to basically everyone, right? To everyone. Everyone mm. in the world will know about your secret. And um, Makoto's biggest secret is that until the eighth grade, he wet his bed. See, Makoto's most embarrassing and uh, crazy secret is as average of a secret as well. Exactly. <laughs> and pertaining to his characters. It's nothing dark or nefarious. It's just, just very, very embarrassing is all it is. Yeah. And that was that. That's what I saw. I was like, <laughs> and even Makoto was like, "This is nothing. Nobody's gonna kill somebody over this." Yeah. And then other people were looking around like, "Oh shit!" Yep. <laughs> and Makoto's oh, like, man. "Oh boy, who am I with here? Well, you've locked me up with a bunch of fucking psychopaths, you know." <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that there's our incentive, uh, and then we get our next murder, um. And uh, the 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 next murder uh, takes place uh, in the girls' locker room, the girls' weight room. And uh, unfortunately, the person that is killed is uh, the young, very timid girl, Chihiro. Uh, mm-hmm. Chihiro. Chihiro. Yes. The ultimate programmer. The ultimate programmer, the computer programmer who. Every time you saw her, you say this person wouldn't hurt a fly. Oh yeah, the the most like gentle, timid person you've ever met. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's very interesting how this person is found. Um, when we go to the crime scene, she is actually strung up by her arms on two weight benches, and is being suspended in midair. Um, and she has been struck in the head uh, and killed by blunt force trauma. Um, and it's pretty easy to figure out what killed her 
because mm -hmm. the, there's a dumbbell laying there with blood all over it. So somebody struck her with a dumbbell. And I'm like, well, shit. And uh, you forgot one major detail. Uh, on the back, it was written in blood. Yes. Bloodlust. Uh, bloodlust is written on the wall behind her, and it's written in her blood. Yes. So um, at that point, we begin our next investigation. Of course, everybody's freaking out. Everybody's like, oh, my God, this is this is horrible. Um, she wouldn't hurt anybody. Why would anybody want to kill her? But then everybody's like, well, she was weak and yep. anybody could just, you know, just kill her with one hit kind of deal. Um, so we begin our investigation. First thing, obviously somebody wrote bloodlust and blood on the back. Uh, somebody also strung her up, which is fucking weird. So it's, it almost looked like a ritual killing of some sort, right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, at that point, um, Togami, who had been weirdly wanting to hang out with us lately, mm -hmm. is also now wanting to buddy up with the investigation. And he is showing us everything that he possibly can. And he tells us to meet him at the uh, library because he has something to show us. Um. And uh, the the biggest thing that caught me, and I caught it before the murder even happened, right? Uh, was the lamp. <laughs> I'm right. I was going to go ahead and say because I remember going to the library and saying this lamp it doesn't reach the core, it doesn't reach the wall outlet. They had to use an extension cord, and the the day of the murder, the extension cord was gone. And I'm like, well, that's fucking weird <laughs> and fucking obvious. <laughs> yes, very. And so, um. But yeah, we go to the library and we go into the archive section. And the archive section of this library is fucking weird. It is filled with conspiracy theory stuff as well as police reports and different types of murder uh, investigation files. So it holds all these very secret uh, documentation you wouldn't usually find at an academy. So very high class classified information in this archive. Yeah, there was another thing I forgot to mention, which will probably be brought up a little bit later, but before the, this investigation stuff took place, when we were first invest, look, looking at the library, uh, we found a letter um, that was wrote about a year ago, mm -hmm. um, uh, basically talking about how this school has fell under bad terms and is going to have to close down, but it will be back. And we're like, okay, so how long has the school been under? And who the hell is actually running the school? The school was apparently abandoned about a year ago. Right, so if the school was abandoned, who is this supposed headmaster now? And who made all these crazy renovations, right? They yeah. must have a lot of resources in order to be able to do this. Exactly. So uh, that's another part of the mystery that's the overarching mystery, I should say. Yes, so, uh, yeah, back to the investigation. Um, uh, Togami takes us to the archive, and he shows us the archive of the genocide Jack murders. And he shows us some very crucial information. Uh, the files themselves uh, pertain to the people genocide Jack has killed. Uh, and it shows pictures. And those pictures show something very revealing. Uh, one of them being how... 
every murder suspect or every murder victim is suspended in midair. Uh, and also bloodlust is wrote on uh, the wall. Right, with the, with the victim's own blood. With the victim's own blood. And he said, well, that's kind of weird, don't you think? Yes. Because we got a body down in the workout room that looks a lot like this. But this information was classified, and the... The the way the the body was suspended was actually never released to the public. Yeah. So yeah. So only the high ranking police officers that were doing the investigation would know about it. Which means Genocide Jack is one of the students here. Yes, that's what that's what he's he or rather the files are alluding to. Yeah. Which I mean he's kind of suggesting at the same time. Yes. So he's like, uh, so we may have a fucking serial killer here, and we don't even know it. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of creepy. It's bad enough that they're having multiple murders and dead people, and now there's might be an actual serial killer on you know, living under the same roof, and you yeah. don't even know who might who who it is. Yeah, and then we start thinking. Well, the last incentive was I'm going to let everybody know about your secret. Uh, what, if, what if your secret is your genocide, Jack, and I'm going to let everybody know about it? Yeah, and you wouldn't really be able to live among the other people. So that becomes a power sense, powerful incentive oh, yeah. to kill at that point. Yeah. So um, a, another interesting thing that happens is that when we find uh, the body – uh, Chihiro's body. Um, uh, Toko is with us. Uh, the the writer, the, the ultimate writer, the one I've been trying to romance apparently. Uh. Um, and she really freaks out. She doesn't like the sight of blood, and makes her faint. Mm-hmm. Um, and she faints, but then gets back up and is acting really fucking weird. Like, almost like nothing has happened. Yeah, and she's laughing maniacally, and she's just acting weird. She has, like, weird glazed-over eyes. And, and her tongue her sticking tongue is, out. Yeah, tongue sticking out of her mouth, and just acting all sorts of weird. Kind of like a demented person, almost like a, yeah. Yeah, so um, we have a couple people take her back to her room so she can possibly rest and figure out what the fuck is wrong with her. Well, you figure she might be on the shock from seeing this rather grotesque uh, uh, crime scene. Yeah. Which, which might be understandable, but her behavior was peculiar. So, uh, on to the investigation. Um, we checked the body again. We see that it was obviously blood force trauma to the head. Uh, we see that the dumbbell was used. Uh, but there's a few things that we noticed is, is very strange. Uh, the first one being that when we first went into the boys' workout room, um, there was a picture of a of a bikini wearing model with big breasts. That bikini wearing model poster with big breasts is now in the girls' uh, locker room, mm-hmm. and where the the poster was in the boys is now replaced with a boy band poster. And uh, the poster with the bikini model also had splattered blood on it. Yeah, it's got blood all over it. From where somebody obviously knocked the crap out of Chihiro. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's weird. Um, 
And then on top of that, we we figure out that uh, there's some some misconceptions or not misconceptions, but there's there's some discrepancies, I should say. Uh, one of them being that Sakura, the uh, the the martial arts expert, tells us that she likes to um, before a workout um, drink or after a workout drink some protein, like a protein coffee kind of thing. Right. And she remembers that the day yesterday she accidentally spilled some coffee onto the, uh, the workout mat. And she said, for some reason that stain is not there anymore. And then we go into the boys locker room and that mat has a stain on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now we're thinking something's up. Looks like this shit's been switched. Right. But the uh, weird thing is, is that if the, you can't get into the different rooms depending on the gender, which means that whoever got into the girl's room or the girl's workout room had to have been a girl that murdered her. So we're assuming at this point that the murderer must be a girl because the crime took place in the girl's locker room, right? Yeah, that's exactly right because you yes. can't get in there. But there's also uh, some more information that we found out. Uh, one of them being that in the uh, main hallway, there is a mailbox. Uh, and that mailbox, um, when a person dies in the school, their uh, e-handbook uh, is dropped off in the mailbox. And it's still active. Anybody can use it. Anybody can pick it up. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't it illegal against the rules to use somebody else's handbook? And then no, we, we actually talk about this specifically. It is illegal for a living person to trade handbooks with another person. The, the dead do not own anything. Yes. Yeah. Monokuma says the, the dead is just a body. Yes. They are no longer living, which means they'd no longer own anything. So that means, okay, maybe a man could get in there because, well, they got the fucking, they could, they could have easily went in there and grabbed two of the dead girls eBooks, mm -hmm. scanned it and then brought it back. So the plot thickens. It could be a man. It could be a woman. But then there's a few other things. Um, we, we, we actually get a few accounts. Um, the first one being that, uh, Sakura and, um, the, the swimming, the, the swimming pro, I can't ever remember her name. Uh, Aoi or Asahina. Yeah. Um, she, they, they both constantly wanted to invite, uh, Chihiro to work out with them. We're like, yeah, come, come work out with us. You know, you, you want to get stronger. Tashiro is always a very timid person, but she's always talked about how she wanted to get stronger because if somebody's going to try to murder her, she wants to be, be able to handle herself. You right. Know? And, um, and, you know, Sakura and, um, the swimming pro, I, her, her name is so fucking hard to pronounce. Just, just, just Aoi, man. Aoi. Aoi. Okay. Yeah. They, they're both, they, they, I have to say those two people, Seem like genuine people. Yeah, they seem like really like nice and genuine people, right? Yeah, they don't want to kill anybody, and mm -hmm. uh, I have a <laughs> for some reason they seem like victims more than they are murderers. 
Eh, that's what we thought about Saka at the beginning as that's, well, right? That, that's true, but I, I, for some reason, I don't think I don't think they're, they're murderers. That that that's... I I I would hate to disappoint you, but you know the game is what it is. Yeah, you'll see some stuff happen here and there, so don't worry about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, so uh, they've always invited Chihiro to to go work out with them, and she's never came. They're like, well, she seems like she just doesn't want to work out, but she wants to get stronger. It's weird. She she kind of just avoids us for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she she has no problem talking to the guys, mm-hmm. you know. And that, that's kind of weird, you know. Normally, you know, the boys are are better with talking with boys, and girls are better talking with girls. But Chichiro's much different. Well, she's also a programmer, so you figure in her field, she's mostly talking with other men, right? Yeah. It's a male-dominant uh, dominant field, so it kind of makes sense in that way. Yeah. So uh, after that account, we also get another account from uh, Celestia. Uh, she was in uh, – there was another new area that was opened up, which is the stock room. Where uh, not only is there a whole bunch of food there, there is supplies, uh, there's clothing, all sorts of stuff there. And uh, Celestia tells us that she actually saw Chihiro um, go in the in the um, in the storage room uh, well after uh, the curfew. Now, in the curfew, the curfew. I should mention the curfew is something that the students came up with. They said once nighttime happens, let's just all just stay in our rooms until morning. Uh, but you don't have to go by it. They just did it as a safety precaution. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monokuma doesn't give a shit where you are as long as you, you're not in the restricted areas when when it's nighttime. So the workout room is totally fine to be at during night according to the school rules. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, um, Celestia sees uh Chihiro uh in the storeroom uh and she's actually got a gym bag um and she has a um a uh like a, a track suit it's a blue track suit mm-hmm. uh and she's kind of stuffing it into the the gym bag and she runs off um and the the vital information there is is that Celestia tells only this information so uh that at this point they call the trial and i'm like yeah because you you have no idea who who the killer is at this point right? yeah that was that's what freaked me out i was like okay whoa wait a minute i'm like am i being timed on this and i didn't get enough information because in the in the first trial they made it really obvious who the the perpetrator was because of the the number slash name which you should be a normal person should be able to figure out right off the bat, right? Yeah. Uh, so you you are going into the case knowing who it is, so you're able to lead the case to that direction, perhaps. Yeah. But in this one, you went in sort of blind without much information. Yeah. Um, but before the trial, um, we we also go to check on uh, uh Toko, um, and uh, Toko is acting really fucking strange. Uh, she said that uh, she couldn't keep her promise, uh, and she wants to keep Genocide Jack. Well, no, she she doesn't say Genocide Jack. You just spoiled the thing. Did I? Uh, yeah, she she says she wants to keep uh, the other side of her. Uh, oh, she says know. she says no, she doesn't say Genocide Jack at all. Like never. She says I want I want to keep Genocide Jack away. Is what she said. 
I'm pretty sure she did. She didn't say genocide, Jack. I thought she did. I'm like, I'm like 95% sure she didn't. Okay. Well, either way, well, whatever, man, we're getting into it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. But, okay, yeah. <laughs> so she, she's like, I, I want to, like, I don't want to hurt anybody basically. Uh-huh. Um, she, she's locked herself in the room trying yeah. to keep a promise with a per- a particular person that she hasn't named. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, she's acting really fucking freaky. And at that point, everybody's kind of thinking, She's got like this split personality. She's acting really weird. She's normally like this, this not necessarily timid, but very, very reluctant person. Um, and now she's this weird, like freaky person. Um, and so we go to the trial, um, and people are starting to think that it's actually Toko that did this. Well, no, what happened is that, uh, right off the bat, uh, Bielka, uh, uh takes the reins of this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, "Yeah, yeah. We, but we, we already know who the killer is, and that's Genocide Jack." And he starts listing off the evidence of uh, how the the crime scene was presented with the whole uh, suspension of the body and the bloodlust. And he says, "Like, you know, why don't we just ask uh, Genocide Jack himself or herself?" And kind of uh, Toko faints. From this accusation, and then genocide Jack appears at that point. Yeah, and it's the very beginning of the case. Yeah, she she turns into her split personality, mm-hmm. um, and turns into genocide Jack or genocide Jill, as they yeah. call her uh, in the game. Uh, and she, th- th- all right. So we're going to talk about this after the trial. Sure, but <laughs> she knows a shit ton about genocide Jack stuff. This person's genocide Jack. Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure. Okay. Because <laughs> she knows how she kills people. Mm-hmm. Um, that like during this whole like school de- like the class debate and stuff like that, she is talking about how she she knows how she kills people, and uh, I use my special scissors to kill people, and you know she knows like. Everything about every detail. And I'm like, wow, this is actually really genocide Jack here. Um, but in my mind, I already knew who the fucking killer was. I was like, easy. He's easy. Just, yeah. Fucking uh, Dogami is trying to fucking pin it on genocide Jack. While genocide Jack is a fucking freakazoid. Who, right. Who is a murderer. She didn't kill Chihiro. But- how can you prove that she didn't kill her with all this uh, this uh, modus operandi in front of you? That's easy. Because okay. Togami has been studying up on Genocide Jack in the library this entire time. He mm-hmm. killed her and then tried to pin it on her. Mm, but he didn't do quite the perfect job, though, did he? No. In fact, now when we get into it a lot, we can't really figure uh, – it's starting to look like he didn't do it. And then he's even saying he, – he plays along with it too. That's the thing. He plays along with it saying, okay, so I did this, this, and this. And then he just throws like this screwball in there. So, you know, because we, we're, we're disproving every fucking thing, you know. Right. I was like, well, I couldn't – how can you – I couldn't get into the uh, into the uh, girl's locker room. Yeah, you could use one of the, the dead girl's um, – Ehan books, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, why would I want to kill her? Well, you, Cause you can get the hell out of here. Why would I want to pin on genocide? How do I know it's genocide Jack? Well, it's because you know all everything about it. You're going to the library all the time. You're reading all these handbook, the, these books and files and stuff like that about how, it. How, how was her body suspended like that? Yeah. 
because she was she was suspended using a um extension cord. Where did the extension cord come from? The fucking library. Who's always in the library? Togami. Togami. So everything, every single piece of evidence is pointing to Togami as being the killer. And he was trying to basically pin it on Toko after Toko revealed the secret that she herself has a split personality of a genocide Jill uh, dwelling within her that kind of goes uh, uh, kind of goes active when she goes unconscious. Yeah. And she made a promise to Togami in that moment, saying that, oh, if I can, if I can keep uh, Genocide Jill under control and not kill anybody, then you would go on a date with me. But obviously, this is, it doesn't agree to that, but she, Toko's kind of crazy and delusional, so she believes it. And so she wants to keep that promise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he uses all this knowledge and uh, advantage over her in order to pin this crime on her. Yeah. But we find out that maybe Togami actually didn't kill Chihiro either. Yeah. But he also comes up with it like, yeah, because I totally didn't do it. And they're like, yeah, sure. I was like, no, I'm, I'm fucking serious. I didn't do it. I've just been fucking with you guys this entire time. Yes. <laughs> um, so um, there's a few things uh, that need to be brought up here. Uh, the first one is there's a big re- revelation, once again, brought up by Kirigiri. Uh, they even call a debate recess. And we leave uh, the courtroom, go back to the crime scene, and uh, Kiryuri tells us to examine Chihiro's body once again. Very thoroughly. And it is revealed that Chihiro is actually a male. Oh my... She looks like the most petite little girl you've ever seen in any medium and turns out to be a boy. Yes. Yes. So when that comes along, we things start to make a little bit more sense. First thing is that Chihiro obviously didn't want his big secret to come out, which is mm-hmm. he is secretly a man. Yeah, just a man cross-dressing as a girl. Yeah. Uh, and um, we start to realize that he was a he, he was a weak person, and so he found it easier to just dress himself up as a girl and p- pass off as a girl. Because no one would complain about how weak you are if you're just a petite little girl. So that was kind of his way of hiding within himself. And, uh, you know, trying to hide his true face, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, uh, let's see here. Um, so the not, but now it's starting to, to fall into place that maybe the murder actually did take place in the boys locker room and things were switched, meaning that a boy had to get it had to have been a boy that killed Chihiro because only the boys could get in there even though there is a boys um a a, a dead guys um e handbook mm-hmm. it's not working right now and nobody knows why it's not working and because it's yes, not yes it's Leon's right yes and Leon's it's not working yeah. yeah Leon's handbook's not working which means it could a girl couldn't have grabbed it and then used it to get inside the boys' locker room. 
So uh, now we're th- now we know for a fact it is a guy. We just don't know who yet. Um, and there was a part that we forgot to mention in between there. Yeah, we can we can cover it up as as we're closing up the case because we're we're right about there, right? Yeah, we're pretty much yeah. there. Um, so <laughs> how did we come to the conclusion that it was? I mean, all right, here we go. We're getting into it. It's actually Mondo. Yes, the the ultimate biker gang leader. Yeah, the ultimate biker gang leader who I started to like. See, see, we also just reached the point where we no longer have any threads of evidence to hold on to. Yeah. And Kirigiri, realizing this, pulls a bluff, saying that the evidence we she already knows who the 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 perpetrator is, and the evidence that points to who that was that, uh, is based on the color. Of uh of the tracksuit that Chihiro was wearing, right. And in this argument, everyone starts listing out their own track, uh, their own the, the color of their own tracksuits and what color they are, trying to disprove themselves as being the perpetrator. But one person, Mando in particular, says, "Well, mine mine is not is not blue like Chihiro's. Mine was mine was black. Yeah. So it's clearly not me that she was trying to look like at all." But when you notice the fact that you Celeste only told Makoto about the color of uh, of the tracks that Chihiro put in her uh, gym bag, then it becomes clear that only the killer could have seen her in her blue tracksuit, other than Celeste and Makoto, who was just been told to. Yeah. So, so she she just sprung an elaborate trap, trying to bluff her way when there was no evidence left. It's it's kind of amusing that we got to the same point where we said like, oh yeah, where did they go from here? And then that's exactly what she did. She had no other evidence to grab, so it was the next logical thing to do to try to get the uh, the perpetrator to uh, kind of um, bring himself out, right? Kind of right. shoot himself yeah. in the foot, yeah. And that's what he did. What she did. Yeah, that was um, that was it. Because there was nothing actually actually pointing to Mondo until then. Yeah. Um, and uh, one one of the things I have to bring up um, was that. Mondo and I can't remember the guy's name. The 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 goody two shoes. Um, uh, Ishi, Ishimaru. Yeah, he they both got into a heated debate and kind of got into a fight, but they wanted to settle it like men. So, like men, they went into the sauna, um, which is in the pool area. Um, no, it's not the pool area. It's a, it's in the 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 bathhouse area. Yeah, and uh, they wanted to see who could last the longest in the sauna. And um, Mondo actually went in there with all his clothes on, his school uniform and everything. Yeah, basically trying to show him how much of a badass he is. Yeah. And uh, after that, we we don't find out what happens exactly, but after that, they both come out of it like fucking bros. They're like, oh, man, (laughs) he's like, ah, you're my brother now, man. You're awesome, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, this is stupid. But, um, but hey, man, it's, it's, it's forming a uh, camaraderie. Through through fighting, it's kind of like a, one of the male bravado kind of thing, you know. Yeah. You, you talk smack, you kind of duke it out with your fist, or you have a big argument, and then you come out as better friends. It happens. Yeah. So, um, but they're but they're both all you know buddy buddy now, and um, but there's a very important thing that we need to mention here, um, was that um, how we found out, um, uh, that a certain person's e handbook got broken. Um, what ended up happening was, was that Leon's 
handbook was used, was actually used, um, as a, uh, because, <laughs> all right. So if you have your, your e handbook in the sauna with you, um, and it gets damaged from the heat, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it very easy to break. Uh, and Mondo found this out because he went in with his school uniform and he had his e-handbook with him and he realized that his e-handbook wouldn't work anymore. Yeah, it was broken. It was so broken. It's, it's more like a defect than like uh, anything else. So it is very resilient to any kind of damage like physical force and stuff like that. So Leon's was actually not broken. So the one that they found within um, uh, within, within the little storage area where they keep the, the e-handbooks of the dead people, the broken one was actually Mondo's. Yeah. So um, we uh, we we figure this out, and um, that that's that's kind of like the big, the big the the final nail in the coffin, right? Because that means that the person who went in, or who rather used one of the e handbooks within the the storage area, uh, is the one that killed uh, Chihiro and uh, switched switched uh, switched the. Uh, Switch the crime scene between the girls and the boys' locker room, and and the defining evidence of that would be the person whoever had Leon's handbook is the one who perpetrated most of this. Yeah. But the problem with this particular case from came in from Byakuya, who saw the crime scene of Mondo literally walking out from the girls' uh, girls' locker room after after having killed Chihiro and moved the moved the crime scene. He decided to make things more complicated. Yeah. He decided to make it more difficult by using his knowledge of what genocide Jill was, also exposing Toko for who she really was, and also trying to figure out who was really smart within this group to see who would pose him the most threat as like a as like a test of sorts. Yeah. And that was his that was uh, Togami's plan. But he also did not know that the crime initially started in the uh, the boys bat uh, boys locker room at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had to change his mind on that one. Um, so what ended up happening was, and this is this is where we kind of get into what actually happened. Um, Chihiro was always always got along with the guys more than the girls, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. But he bonded with with Mondo a little bit, and told Mondo his secret. Uh, well, Chihiro really looked up to Mando as kind of like the pinnacle of macho-ness and male strength. Yeah. So she really wanted to confide in him and maybe uh, – well, he he uh, wanted to confide in him and try to get some help from Mando to, to become stronger himself. Yeah. And um, so they both agreed to start working out with each other after everybody went to sleep because that, that's one of the reasons why Chihiro never used – you never went to work out with the girls because his handbook wouldn't let him get in there. Right. So uh, he didn't want anybody knowing that except for one person. He let Mondo know. And uh, uh, Mondo is a man who is who is who everybody like if he promises something, he's going to stick to his promise. Right. And he promised a hero that he would never tell anybody a secret. And uh, but at the same time. He saw the determination in Chihiro, and it made him jealous. 
Yeah, and uh, during the when they were working out together or when they were about to work out, Chihiro started saying about say, talking about how much she respected Mando, uh, not knowing Mando's secret or his past. Yeah, uh, not understanding that Mando held some secrets that really made him feel insecure, and Mando took these genuine compliments that Chihiro was saying as insult. Yeah. And at that point, Mondo just basically blacked out and lost it. All the past memories, all of his guilt that was crashing down on him uh, was too much. And then he just went into a rage. And all it, was, all it took was just one hit to the head for Chihiro. And before he realized what he had done, he had already killed Chihiro. But at that point, he needed to at least make sure that he was trying to keep the promise that he made to Chihiro. That he would never disclose the fact that... It, he was, uh, she was actually a he all along. Yeah. So, so that's why he began trying to, to switch the two crime scenes. Yeah. And uh, that's when he came out after switching the crime scenes. That's when Togami saw saw him. Yeah. yeah. And that was that was one of the things was that a Mondo wasn't necessarily trying to cover up the fact that he killed her. No, he wasn't at all, really. Um, and B, I found it a little. I wouldn't say disturbing. I found it slightly touching and very mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, it is. That that he was like, I didn't want to kill him, and but I promised him that I would. And it was like it was so fucking, it was so fucking somber and sad seeing him like carry his body over to the girl's fucking locker room and just lay it down. I was like, well, this is so fucking fucked up. This is so sad. Yeah, it is. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's very sad. Uh, there's a lot of these somber things where these like these these people, these kids, they're not monsters. They're not they're not natural born killers. They're just guys driven into this corner, put into these situations. And the secret that Mando kept all this time was the fact that he got his brother killed. Yeah. Uh, while while he challenged his brother, older brother, to a race, and his older brother actually sacrificed his own life in order to save Mondo when he made a stupid mistake and almost hit a hit a truck, and he made up a lie saying that oh I I was beating him and my brother made a mistake and got killed, so he was carrying this guilt of being responsible or sort of responsible for his brother's death all along, so he was personifying this strength. Meanwhile, he was weak. And cowardly all along. In the inside, yeah. Yeah, and he saw Chihiro, who was this weak person on the outside, but so strong and determined on the inside, and felt this deep-seated jealousy, and he just went mad with rage. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just just it's uh, just just sad, man. Yeah, that's a whole sad situation completely. And I was like, I was like, ah, oh, so fucking sad and touching at the same time. He's like, I wanted to promise, I made a promise to him that I'd never reveal that he was actually a man. So I carried him over to the the girls' locker room. And uh, he also destroyed uh, Chihiro's handbook by throwing it into the sauna, so no one would be able to test the handbook in order to see which locker room he would go to as well. Yeah. Uh and that's how kind of he shot himself, kind of because if he never did that, and if he never he never destroyed Chihiro's uh, booklet into the uh, into the sauna and just kind of kind of just left him there, the girls he wouldn't have been found out because that's how they deduce the fact that these handbooks could even be destroyed in the first place. Yeah. So by by trying to uphold this promise, he basically got himself also killed. Yeah. So. Um... But yeah, like you said, um, uh, Tagami saw this going on and decided let's make it a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, at that point, 
and I was wondering if they were actually going to bring it up or if it was going to be like a really gamey game and not bring it up. But yeah, the, uh, the guy who's the mystic, uh, or not the mystic, but the, uh, the, the clairvoyant guy, he, he brought up, he said, so wait a minute, you, you fucked up, you fucked with the crime scene to make things interesting and in the process could have possibly got yourself killed. Yeah. And then Togami straight up says like, no, I would have obviously stopped it. I'm not going to get myself killed over this. He would have stopped it at the last moment and laid down all the information that he had. Because he, at that point, obviously knew the the killer straight up. Like, he would have just at the beginning said it. But this was his elaborate test to see when he decided to become the killer, the, the blackened, so to speak, who he needed to watch out for, who would be his greatest adversary in getting away with said crime. Yeah. Or, and who, this or who he would need to kill. <laughs> yeah, th- that too. So he's a very manipulative, but also this is a very smart move on his part, right? Yeah. Because this kind of reveals the facts of who he, who can really kind of catch him red-handed. So if he were to maybe get rid of these individuals first before uh, committing his crime, then maybe he would be able to get away with this scot-free. Yeah. So we um, everybody votes. Yep. Mondo has been found guilty. We found our correct killer, and then uh, so begins another unrealistic yep. execution. Incredibly elaborate execution, almost yeah. like a show, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, we, they, I think Monokuma straps him into onto a motorcycle, and then drives him into a cage of death, which um, basically. He, it's like one of those like stunt cages. That's a mm-hmm. circular cage that you see like stunt drivers on motorcycles drive in, but it drives really, really fast. And then he shocks it with electricity. Yes. <laughs> and then turns him into some kind of dish. He just basically makes him into a paste. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, between the G force and the electricity, he just basically gets uh, disintegrated into a paste. Which uh, Monokuma put into a box as Mondo Butter. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Oh, shit. It is. So, um, but that's, uh, yeah, that was the end of the last, tr- the second trial. Um, and, they, and the one interesting thing that we, we bring up, uh, which I did see, it was before the third chapter starts. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Monokuma sitting in a, like a control panel chair and he is turned and looking at somebody, a shadowy figure and he's talking to him and, uh, he's mentioning a few things like you should have struck sooner. Like I told you to strike sooner than, Mm -hmm. than, than you haven't, you haven't done what I told you to. He's talking to somebody who is obviously in the school and he is talking to somebody who is obviously in collaboration with him. Ah, so Monokuma is working with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically had a contingency plan, right? The basic thing is that you needed a rolling start for this. Is it reasonable to say even with the motivational uh, DVD that he handed out, there was a possibility that someone might uh, – that nobody would uh, be killed or nobody would be desperate enough to still kill somebody. So this this person that he was working with was supposed to be the trigger that started the incidents, was supposed to be the first killer. 
uh, that's and that wasn't cahoots with Monokuma this entire time. But now I pose this question to you: Who do you think this person is that is in uh, cahoots with Monokuma? And I'll give you one guess, and you're gonna have to carry that guess until you find out. So let's let's see your deductive skills, Mister Gumshoe. Kirigiri. Kirigiri? Kirigiri. She she is a little too perfect, isn't she? Well, she seems to know a lot more that's going on than what everybody that's else true. does. She's also very secretive on what her ultimate skill is. That's true. So she is very suspicious. I'm sure so. she's I'm sure she's not. <laughs> but but I you know I gave you one guess and that's the person you picked right I mean that that I mean that that sound that sounds like the obvious guess and and if this game has told me anything is that don't <laughs> don't bet on that person you know what I I I I, I want to think here I wanna, let let me think I'm okay gonna, okay gonna, you know I'm, what I'll let you take that take that guess back once okay I'll take that okay. guess back once and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a wild ass fucking guess and I'll probably be disproven um um. Right away. Okay. I think I think it's the the um the 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 the, the clairvoyant guy because the we mentioned we, yeah we mentioned before this dude is a shitty fucking psychic, right? And I think yeah I mean that I think it's gonna have to be something is up with that guy, right? He seems he seems way too stupid and useless, right? Yeah, like he can't do anything. And as an ultimate, it doesn't seem to do anything well. So it, he does seem very suspicious in that regard, too. And you know how it is, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Yeah. So you, you find the most, in, uh, most, or rather the least intimidating person, and you, that becomes kind of like your secret ally. Right. So, okay, I like, I like your guess there. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with that one. Because okay. I, have, I have a feeling it's going to end up being Kirigiri is like, actually the main protagonist of this or some shit like that. Like that's the hero. Well, without Kirigiri, uh, Makoto would probably be dead by now. Yeah, they'd ever all, all of them be dead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and you know, the, we talked about the somber theme of what happened at the for Mondo, right? And you know, like we said, Mondo is not like a bad guy. He was just pushed to a corner, uh, put into a situation where basically anyone with emotions could be could be triggered for such things, right? Yeah. And if you actually think about back to even the first case, what do you think uh, Sayaka's reasoning for writing Leon's name? Uh, in her final moment, was to save Makoto, or was it to get vengeance on the person who killed her? It could have been get vengeance on the person who killed her, but I think she is doing that for. Well, see, that's the thing is like they even bring it up. Um, it was like she she wanted to switch rooms, mm-hmm. and so she. she- she wanted, she wanted to, to frame. Makoto, she wanted, right? yeah. She wanted to frame Makoto. So I don't know. Maybe it was because Makoto thinks about it. He says, "Was she just was she writing that to make sure that nobody got killed except for Leon?" You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's 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 a hard one right there. So it's it can go either way, right? As far as logic goes, yeah. There, Makoto, or rather, Kirigiri says, "Have hope in the fact that." Uh, she tried to save you in the end, knowing and understanding uh, what she was trying to do to you. Because uh, Sayaka, we, we look at her kind of like, as this two-faced villain, but she also had her very good reasons to try to get out. Like everything she worked for, she had to do a lot of things. Like it's implied that she had to do nasty things in order to get to the position that she is as, a, as an idol. And she holds her position as someone that kind of... Um, 
brings like happiness to other people's life as something of value, right? And also not to mention all the regular people, other people in their group uh, counting on her. And they, from her picture, which you see in that trial, is that all of them are unconscious and knocked out. Yeah. Yeah, they could, they could, they could be all dead, or maybe they're being captured. So it's like a dire of dire situations where Makoto's picture didn't really show her his family being captured or anything, just so the apartment being you know, brutalized. Yeah. So that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But Sayaka's Sayaka was a lot more desperate than Makoto ever could be in that moment. So we look at her and we say like, oh yeah, she tried to kill Leon first, so she's the villain. But you, we have to also understand that she was pushed kind of to the brink and she was willing to do anything it took doesn't make her a good person but understanding that fact makes it so that how she died and what she left behind trying to perhaps save everyone including leon who she might have felt uh i mean including makoto uh who she might have felt very guilty about what she tried to do in the first place so it kind of becomes a battle between hope and despair you have the hope and belief that she was trying to save Makoto, but you have the despair and the idea that, but all this time, maybe she was trying to frame Makoto. She was just trying to use him, and he, that's all he was good for, right? Yeah. So it breeds a different type of mindset, and it's entirely up to you which one you'd rather believe because they're both credible. It's, it, yeah, it's interesting because they, they constantly bring up that whole theme of hope and despair. Mm-hmm. And and on top of that, I mean, even like looking at Monokuma, you know, half of him is white, right. and the other half is black and evil looking, and it's it's interesting how they're doing it. And plus, there's the, every time we go to bed, we get that monologue by Monokuma. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is. It, it it's makes... actually very most of the time it's actually a very subtle hint to some of the theme or rather the case that you're going to be facing next. Gotcha. Okay. And when you hear it, it seems nonsensical, but when you actually read it after you play that particular case and understand uh, the reasoning behind everything, then it actually pieces together a little bit here and there. Gotcha. But not, not, not always, but most of the time it does. So that's another thing that the game does. So yeah, that's the, that's the first two uh, chapters of the game. I, want, I definitely want to get your thoughts on what you think of the game so far. I, I, I'm enjoying the crap out of it. Yeah. I, I, did, uh, I did the... Um... I did the first two chapters probably in about three days, maybe four days. I played awesome. it. I, I did it all the weekend, the whole weekend. Um, and it's yeah. I, I this is after playing what I've played so far, it kind of solidifies the fact that I want to play two and three. Oh, dude, one is great. Two is even better. So two is two is the pinnacle. Two, I would say, is the pinnacle. Uh, one, the thing about one is that it was the first one, right? It's kind of like. Comparing Resident Evil 1 and 2. Resident Evil 1 was the originator. Classic. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, it can't really be toppled. But 2 just did everything better. It was bigger. Yeah. Had better ideas and stuff like that. It's kind of like that for Danganronpa 2. Uh, although Danganronpa 2 still has a couple of like nitpicks that I would put in. And some terms of gameplay. But the storyline and the characters are fantastic. Yeah. When you, when you play 2 after playing 1, you're going you're gonna to have a great time. It's been a long time since I've played a game like this. Um, I mean, I, you know, I played Hotful Boyfriend, which is not like this at all, really. <laughs> um, that's basically just reading a novel. But um, yeah. um, and I actually enjoyed Hotful Boyfriend, um, but uh, because of the 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 story stuff, that's the thing that I like about this is that it is so fucking weird, uh-huh. uh, and it is so strange in in how it's delivered. But at the same time, it has like 
genuine fucking moments in it. Yeah. Yeah, like that like the whole Chihiro thing, like that that fucking like I wouldn't say it touched me, but I was like, oh, that's fucking sad as shit. Yep. You know, and I was just like, man, that's that you know, it just made me think like, man, this is really fucked up. You know, and and um but it's you know, the, these games they always kind of do that. You know, a Persona four is the <laughs> is the same way. Is that, you know, it's it's weird. People are going through televisions and shit like that. But then you have these genuine moments of like, like you know, is is this guy? He he he's trying to cope with the fact that he may very well be gay, or mm-hmm. you know, or or being accepted as another person. You know, it's like people going through their inner demons in this weird TV world anime style. Mm-hmm. But they have genuine moments, and this game has that too, and I really, really like that about it. You know, and the Phoenix Wright even had that. There was tons of times in Phoenix Wright where I was like, this is fucking sad. You know, and I'm playing this dumb, bumbling fucking lawyer trying to save a person's life. <laughs> but then they have these moments of right. like, oh, man, this is like, you know, that person got killed because of this. You know, and it was, it was you know, these games do a really good job with this stuff, and I'm really enjoying this game. The that's the beauty of visual novels, right? They don't skimp on the time that it requires to set up and maintain these characters as individuals with emotions, uh, with goals of their own, and things that they want to do. So once you realize that, they become a lot more relatable. And these themes that they they touch in, like a promise, right? Like I, I'm one of those people that like will walk through a mile of like swampland in order to keep a promise if I have to. I don't make promises very often, but when I do, I I intend to keep them, like. If my life depends on it, kind of thing. Yeah. So when I saw this kind of thing, it really spoke to me, you know. So it it really speaks to me in a lot of ways. These characters and actions, and being thrust upon this like impossible situation where they don't understand why they're here, why why they're being tortured like this and put into this situation, and just trying to figure everything out. So you have this overarching mystery, and on top of them, you have the smaller mystery whenever there is a murder, and you don't know who's going to die next. Tell me, who's going to die next, Drew? Who's going to die next? In case, uh, case three. Uh, whoever you talk to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whoever I was deciding to talk to. Yeah, whoever you decide to talk to is going to die next, probably. Uh, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I hope that uh-huh. fanfic die, guy dies next. Okay. But, I have a, I, but me, personally, I think uh, Sakura is going to die. Sakura, the uh, the martial artist. Yeah. Mm, uh, if she dies, I mean, that's got to be a hell of a person to be able to kill someone like that, though, get, right? Get them while they're sleeping. I don't know. Uh, that's that's always that's always a possibility. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's anything could happen. You thought Sayaka was gonna stick around and maybe be the love interest? No. Yeah. No, that's not gonna happen. Uh, and then you thought you know you was everyone was sure that Togami was the killer in the second case, but that was turned around a hundred percent in yeah. a matter of a few minutes in that case, and the Mondo just came out of nowhere, and it just everything just makes sense. And when you start pick, uh, when you start putting all the pictures together, like literally, quite literally, you you put every single aspect of the case together in that little comic strip of the climax. It is there's like 
there's no like more satisfying moment than that. Yeah, when that, you see everything your logic play out like that. Yeah, that aha moment. Yeah, it's I live for those kind of moments when I play these puzzle kind of games uh, and physics Phoenix Down uh, visual novels where you try to figure out a mystery. Mm-hmm. So this this game in particular does such a good job of giving the payoff. Yeah, and that's why I love it so much. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I'm having a I'm having a great time with it. I like this weekend. This weekend I've got a game I got to play for mm-hmm. review, but um, I uh, but I'm gonna be definitely r- running through. Yeah, this you know well. you, you know your homework for uh, the next two chapters for next week. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll have it done as well. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how it goes. <sighs> great. So I believe uh, there. Is a total of six cases, I believe. Okay. So, like we said, our schedule is two chapters a day, and then we'll wrap it up within three shows, basically. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then we'll see where it goes. But I, I'm really happy that you're enjoying it. Uh, I love introducing people to stuff that I enjoy. And Danganronpa is one of those things that really didn't get the exposure that it deserves because it came out on Vita. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough people have the Vita. Not enough people play visual novels to begin with. But the game plays well on the Vita TV. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. No problem, um, right? the, the, the the sound quality is a little weird. It sounds a little compressed. Uh, but that's, that's about it. That's too bad. The music in this series is awesome. The music's great. Uh, the voice acting is really well done. Yeah. It's the fully voice acting and during the class trials is one of my favorite aspects. Too. Yeah. That's that's one of the things I really like. Uh, and I've noticed a few of the, the, the voices. They sound familiar to me. Um for some reason, I think Yuri Lowenthal is one of them. Ah, he's, he's in everything. So. He, he is in everything. So, uh, so I, I wouldn't bet against him at any time of the day. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get back into Chapter 3 and 4, and then uh, we'll, we'll continue on where we left off. Absolutely. But, yeah, that's going to be it for us. I do appreciate everybody listening. If you'd like to send us an email talking about uh, Danganronpa or whatever else you'd like to talk to, uh, just uh, send me an email. It's drew at ztgd.com. Uh, you can also follow us all on Twitter. I am at DML Fury and Jay is at Batuside Jay. Uh, you can follow the podcast itself at ZTGD Phoenix Down. I post all the episodes here. Um, but yeah, let me get, get, get a hold of us while we're doing this series because I, I want to hear people's thoughts on this. Even if you're not even playing along with us, mm-hmm. just, just, uh, you know, it, it, Tell us if we're actually describing this in a decent way because I don't know how well this would translate to us <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's really it's, hard. It's, it's hard, man. Like, yeah. I mean this is a long-ass episode and I was like, man, we – it feels like I didn't cover everything. You know? No, no. We, we went into like pretty good detail on everything. Yeah. But at the same time, there's so much little like minute details on the uh, accounts that people are talking about and some of the evidence stuff that we skim over. That it just feels like we're obviously not doing the game justice uh, by by any means, but we were trying, right? Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you the best thing to do, and I think the thing that will help you out the most is if you're listening to this show, mm-hmm. um, go to like – I don't know, the wiki or something like that. Uh, well, don't, don't don't go to the wiki. The wiki spoils the whole game. Okay. Well, yeah. don't go to the wiki, but but look up – just the characters. Look at what they look like. Mm, that's I, true. Yeah. I think just getting a visualization of what these characters look like would actually help out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm enjoying the crap out of this game. I can't wait to to play more of it. And um, I hope you guys join us for the next episode. But until then, I am Drew, Jay, and we're out of here. 
Uh, hope you guys have a great week. We will be back next week with the continuation of Don Rampa Trigger Happy Havoc. 